since our last episode, I've been semi-busy with a few hikes this month that are convenient to my home. On New Year's Day, I took a short first day hike in Panther Creek State Park, which is between Jefferson City, Tennessee and Morristown, Tennessee, and is also close to Interstates 40 and 81. It was a chilly January morning and about 15 people of various ages participated in the hike. Many of the hikers entertained us by trying to outdo each other with Tennessee trivia during the hike. We hiked about 1.6 miles, primarily on Ore Mine Trail. While the hike was short, this trail is considered moderately difficult. On another recent cold day, we hiked the Ridge Crest Trail in this same park. The hike was also about one and a half miles round trip and it's rated as difficult as the trail is very steep and rocky both coming and going. You do get some great views of Cherokee Lake and the surrounding mountains on this trail, particularly in the winter. Recently, we returned to Seven Island State Birding Park near Kodak, Tennessee and very close to Knoxville, Tennessee. This is the park where I went on the foraging workshop and hike in the fall. We hiked about three and a half miles in chilly and windy conditions just a few hours before a major snowstorm hit the area. Our route included the Upland Outer Loop Trail, the Seven Islands Loop Trail, and the Bob White Trail, which is a very nice accessible trail. The Bob White Trail leads to a bridge that takes you to an island in the middle of the French Broad River. The scenery in this park is spectacular as you have close-up views of the Smokies and other mountains in the area. We saw several deer during our hike, including a large buck who was napping but carefully watching us as we walked past. I'm excited about this episode because it includes some new content as well as segments from previous episodes that I thought you would enjoy. The overall theme of this episode is all things related to hiking gear. My opinions are those of a layman and a casual hiker and not those of an expert. I also plan to have a few much more detailed gear episodes later in the year that will include interviews with people who are very much experts on various gear and other topics. Hopefully, I can make that happen. As always, I would really like the feedback of all of you in our hiking community. You can communicate with me on Instagram or X, where my name is Goose Hiking. That's G-O-O-S-E-A-H-I-K-I-N. If you've listened to my past podcast, you'll know that I keep a day pack filled with appropriate items with me at all times for spur-of-the-moment hikes. I have no brand loyalty at all for day packs. My main criteria are that they are big enough to get my stuff in, have cushioned shoulder straps, and preferably a cushioned surface touching my back. I do also like external pockets for water bottles, so usually cheap canvas school book bags don't work that well. I'd recommend something designed for hiking. In regards to backpacks, 
I've used various types over the years and also don't care that much about the brand and have similar criteria as I have for day packs. However, I only use backpacks that come with a well-fitting rain cover and prefer the type that have a detachable section that can be used like a day pack or a fanny pack in case I decide to take a side trip to see a waterfalls or a vista during an overnight or multi-day hike. For me, the one additional criteria that I have for backpacks is that they be lightweight. On multi-day hikes, I try to do everything that I can to lighten the load. It really helps to keep the hike enjoyable. Some people prefer packs that are designed to accommodate a large camelback type hydration bladder, but that isn't all that important to me. Backpacks can cost a lot of money. If you're on a budget, then you might want to find a quality used backpack on Craigslist or some similar service. Many novice hikers spend a lot of money buying gear, then go for a long hike and decide it's not for them. So you can save a lot of money by buying lightly used backpacks. The same goes for tents and cooking gear. A good tent can make all the difference in your hiking experience. Cheap tents are basically worthless. They tend to leak at the seams and typically come with an insufficient rain fly. I would recommend avoiding buying tents from Walmart or Target as I believe that most of the tents that they sell are only appropriate for family car camping when it's not going to rain. Early in my hiking life, I'd purchased a cheapo tent. During the hike, it rained hard one night. I woke in the middle of the night to find my tent filled with about three inches of water. That kind of ruined that hike for me. I recommend buying a quality tent that is seasonally appropriate with a rain fly that covers the entire tent while providing a ventilation space between the tent and the fly. I also recommend buying a ground cover that is specifically designed for your tent. I currently use tents from MSR and REI. I also prefer lightweight tents for the reasons that I mentioned during the discussion on backpacks. I try not to carry a lot of gear with me during backpacking trips, but I do carry a bear bag and lightweight rope with me to place my food and anything that has odors in so that it's well away from my campsite. I've never had bears attempt to get into my stuff, but I have had raccoons and various rodents attempt to get stuff that I carelessly left lying about. You may also want to look at a bear can as an alternative. I also carry a lighter, Swiss Army knife, and a small amount of dryer lint to use as a fire starter. When I day hike, I always carry a filled water bottle with me, typically the type with the built-in straw, and I also carry some light snacks. But when I backpack, I take it a bit more seriously. <laughs> I like to take two 750 milliliter Nalgene bottles and a water filter and water sanitizing tablets. Rather than the bottles, some people prefer a camelback type water bladder and hydration system. And to be honest with you, that is probably better than what I do as it is simpler. But old habits die hard. For backpack food, I like the dehydrated meals like Mountain House or the myriad of competitors that they now have. 
While they are pricey, they are simple and tasty. I do also carry lightweight, crunchy granola bars for snacks, and on a rare occasion, I'll also eat simple and cheap packets of ramen noodles. My main criteria for hiking food is that it should be tasty and lightweight. This is one area where I probably spend more money than I should. However, it's awfully nice to have a nice meal of cheesy mac and beef after a long hike. I also always carry small packets of high-quality instant coffee with me as a drinking a couple of cups of strong coffee is extremely important to me each morning. I like to keep my cooking gear very simple. In most of my hikes in past years, I've used a jet boil system as it is very simple and allows you to pack the fuel canister and stand inside the heating cup when not being used. It is truly a beautiful design. However, I have recently started using an old pocket rocket minimalist stove that screws into a fuel canister. When I use the pocket rocket, I carry a small lightweight aluminum pot with me for cooking purposes. I decided to make this switch after weighing all components of both setups and realized that the jet boil was heavier than the pocket rocket setup. I also carry a small lightweight plastic bowl which doesn't get used a lot. You see, after I boil my water, I pour it directly into the mountain house packet, reseal it, and let it cook. After it's cooked and cooled off a bit, I usually eat directly from the envelope, unless I'm sharing it. I use a simple plastic spork as my only eating utensil, unless I need to cut something, in which case I use my pocket knife. By eating out of the packet, I have minimal cleanup, which simplifies my life. I do also carry an old enameled tin cup for drinking my coffee. It makes me feel more like a cowboy out on the range. Uncomfortable or ill-fitting hiking shoes can not only ruin your hike, but they can also give you blisters, which are extremely painful and can cut a hike short. I've had many pairs of hiking shoes, and to be honest with you, I've yet to find the perfect pair for me. I plan to get some advice on boots from an expert in the near future. My go-to pair of boots currently for longer hikes is a very durable pair of Timberline leather boots with a very thick sole made of a plastic type material. It has a serious tread pattern on the bottom, so it does well in sloppy conditions. I try to clean them after particularly messy hikes and occasionally treat the leather part of the boots with a leather treatment that I bought. I think this helps them to last longer and also prevents cracking. I replace the standard insoles with some pricey ones that provide more arch support and cushions. I've had many pairs of similar boots over the years. I wear them until either the tread wears out or they start coming apart. i found that most of my hiking footwear becomes more comfortable as they age. I also have a lighter wear weight pair of Columbia boots. that are made of man-made breathable type upper material with a very heavy sole like my leather boots. I typically wear these in warmer weather. Both of my primary hiking boots are high cut to provide ankle support, which I think is important. 
I also occasionally hike in standard running shoes, but only if I know that I'm going to be on a very easy hike with very easy terrain like greenways, accessible trails, or high traffic touristy type trails you often find in many of the larger national parks. When I wear sneakers, it's solely for comfort and only on very easy trails. When it comes to hiking boots or shoes, I'm primarily interested in safety, comfort, and price. You can spend a lot of money on hiking boots. Maybe they're worth it, maybe not. I hope to learn more about the value proposition of footwear when I interview an expert in a planned future episode. I think that your footwear is a very personal choice, so your criteria for selecting a pair of hiking shoes may be a lot different than mine. Whatever type of hike I'm on, wearing whatever type of shoes that I happen to be wearing, I also carry moleskin in my pack in case I do get blisters. Trust me, moleskin can salvage an otherwise miserable return hike. When it comes to hiking clothing, I try to wear seasonally appropriate, breathable clothing and use the layering strategy in cold weather. I'm particularly fond of the convertible quick-dry hiking pants sold by Columbia and virtually other every other outdoor brand. When I get hot, I simply zip off the lower legs and I'm instantly wearing shorts without a change of clothing. I almost always wear these types of pants, and I have many pairs of them. In regards to shirts, in hot weather I wear breathable quick-dry t-shirts. In cooler weather I wear breathable long-sleeve button-up shirts and simply roll up the sleeves if I start to get hot. In actual cold weather I layer up by wearing long johns under my pants as well as a quick-dry t-shirt under my long-sleeve shirt and then wearing a lightweight jacket, gloves, and a beanie. I also like to wear merino wool socks as they keep my feet warm but are also breathable and quick drying. I usually carry an additional jacket in case it gets really cold. When I hike in colder weather I have found that I gradually heat up during the hike. By taking a layered type approach it's easy to peel off a layer for comfort. I've also found that I quickly get chilly when I'm taking a break at which point I start to add layers of clothing back on. I don't tend to hike in extremely cold weather as I don't find that enjoyable. And after all, I hike for fun. Also, I do think that my potential danger is elevated in extremely cold weather. As an unexpected injury may limit your ability to hike to your destination and you might run the risk of dying of hypothermia in the woods. On Season 1, Episode 10, Cold Weather Hiking, I discuss the sad death of a winter hiker. If you think about it, your danger is also elevated in extremely hot conditions, too. When hiking, I sometimes use hiking poles, also called trekking poles, and sometimes I don't use them. There are many reasons to use them. When I do use them, I use them for three primary reasons. One, they help me keep my balance when rock hopping across streams and on longer backpacking hikes when I carry a heavy load. Two, 
When I am carrying a fully loaded backpack, they help me to reduce the shock and wear on my knees. And three, I also use them on day hikes if I think that the elevation gain and terrain might warrant the use of them. I've heard other people indicate that they use them to keep their arms busy when hiking. I also knew a fellow that had a tent that utilized hiking poles rather than tent poles. It was a very clever design. I've never used them for this, but it seems you could also use them to scare off animals by waving them or bagging them together. I was using hiking poles during an Appalachian Trail hike in Virginia on Season 2, Episode 1, when I encountered a mother black bear and her cub. As my mind was racing during this encounter, in the back of my mind, I thought I might somehow use them to fend off Mama Bear if she attacked me. Luckily, that was not needed. You could also use them to see how deep water is in a stream or to test the strength of ice, though I would never recommend walking on a frozen stream, river, or lake, as I personally think that is extremely dangerous. A downside of using hiking poles is that they get in the way if you don't need them. Old-time traditional poles are very difficult to store in a backpack. That's why I got a set of telescoping poles that I can quickly place in a day pack or backpack when not needed. I think most, if not all, of the newer hiking poles are of the telescoping variety because they can be adjusted for hikers of various heights. The ones I use telescope down to a very convenient size for storage. While most hiking poles are lightweight, if you're backpacking, you should consider the weight of everything in your backpack. It all adds up. And if you think that the conditions you will face do not warrant carrying the extra weight, then you might want to leave them at home. When I do use hiking poles, I always use a pair. But I've seen some people using only one. I also see a lot of people using a single wooden hiking pole. I actually have accumulated quite a few hiking poles over the years, including a couple of the wooden ones that I rarely use. I think that using a pair of hiking poles is by far the best way of gaining the most important benefits of them to me that I previously mentioned. Keeping my balance when rock hopping on streams, reducing shock and wear on my knees on backpacking trips, keeping my balance and steady footing on challenging terrain. Before each hike, I try to do a little homework on the conditions that I'll face on my hike and make an informed decision about whether or not to use hiking poles on that particular hike. As I said before, sometimes I use them and sometimes I don't. Hiking poles come in a wide variety of prices, materials, and styles. They can be purchased at outdoor stores, online, and big box retailers that have a sporting goods section. I've also run across them at thrift stores, so you should be able to find a set to fit your needs regardless of your budget. As I'm packing my day pack for my upcoming hike, I started thinking about first aid and emergency considerations. I'm not an expert at all, but 
here are my considerations when thinking about what first aid items to take with me while hiking. The location of the hike, how easy is it to call for help if you have a medical emergency? Some trails are near urban areas and are heavily traveled, so it's more likely that someone will come by that could provide some aid. Other trails are very remote and lightly traveled, so you may be on your own. Cell phone service. I've been on many trails where there is no cell phone service unless you're on a mountaintop. So calling for help may be difficult, if not impossible. Do you have a hiking companion or are you hiking alone? Having someone to help you or able to go get help is a big plus. Underlying personal health conditions. Be prepared to handle emergencies that may arise given your individual health situation. Length of the hike. The shorter the hike, the lower the probability of an emergency occurring. Difficulty of the trail and terrain. Some trails are marked strenuous or difficult for a reason. Think about how much easier it is to twist an ankle or be injured in a fall on a steep rocky trail versus a flat rock-free terrain. I'm confident there are other considerations that I'm not mentioning, but these are some things that I consider when packing my backpack or day pack. Since today's hike is supposed to be easy and is only seven miles long, I am bringing my first aid kit my, in my day pack along with water. I also expect that I should have cell phone service most of the time. I am, however, carrying an emergency blanket, a rain poncho, and a flashlight in case something weird happens and I get stuck on the trail overnight. Aspects of hiking and backpacking that I enjoy include that wilderness activities provide me an opportunity to disconnect from the world, and that the basic items used are not very different from the ones old Davy Crockett used, except that black powder musket he used to kill the bar. However, modern electronic devices can have valuable safety benefits. Your most important electronic safety tool is your cell phone. With a cellular connection, you can call for help, send texts, send emails, and use many helpful apps. However, I have noticed that in many of the areas that I've hiked, the data connections can be very weak or even non-existent. Having only one bar makes it virtually impossible to use any of the features that require a data connection. As I mentioned before, I carry a charged power bank with me to keep my devices functional. However, the power bank will eventually become depleted after using several times. So I also have a folding solar cell phone charger, but have found that it requires unobstructed sunlight and takes forever, and I do mean forever, to charge my phone. Connected GPS watches can be an important safety tool as well. I use a Garmin GPS watch connected to my cell phone by Bluetooth on all of my hikes. I can track my location and hiking progress and broadcast it to a website on which the people who I've given the web link to can see my location and track my progress. 
This could be a valuable safety tool, particularly if you're solo hiking. If someone is tracking your progress and can see that you haven't moved in an hour or two, they can call you on your cell phone and make sure you're okay. If you're unresponsive and continue not moving, they can notify the authorities and provide them with your general location. The downside of using this feature is on hikes in mountains and remote locations, cell service can be spotty, if available at all. The online tracking only works if there's a cellular data connection. Garmin also has a series of handheld satellite communication devices that will do the same thing and also let you send text. They utilize a satellite connection rather than a cellular connection. There is, however, a $15 a month fee for that service. I don't own one of these as I'm a cheapo and don't want to pay that monthly fee. So I'm not sure how well they work. If you hike in remote wilderness areas frequently, this type of device along with the four fee service may make a lot of sense as a safety tool. You can also carry a small, lightweight, GMRS slash FRS two-way radio with you, which can be used for emergency communications if there's no cellular service. I have a set of inexpensive Midland two-way radios that are advertised to have a 28-mile range. In reality, your signal could only be received by someone anywhere close to that distance if completely unobstructed by trees, mountains, and other objects. This radio also receives NOAA weather radio channels, which is the primary reason that I use it. It's easy to set it on NOAA band alarm mode so that it notifies you when there is a severe weather alert. A final thought. Enjoying the great outdoors is most certainly exciting and fun. But please don't engage in strenuous physical activities that are beyond your capabilities or your physical condition. Make sure you're familiar with the wildlife you could encounter on your journey so you can be prepared. Also, make sure you wear weather-appropriate clothing, carry an emergency medical kit, water, and a map, and always stay on the trail. Happy hiking! Happy hiking!